0: So tonight, we will be in uh, chapters 9 and 10 uh, in your handout there, and uh, next week, we're going to cover a little bit of 11, a little bit of 12, I'm not 100% sure, and we'll be talking about uh, the fear of the Lord. And it was Sunday morning, and uh, Glenn had come up to me, and he had asked the question, hey, Mike, what, what is wisdom to you? And I said to Glenn, I said, Glenn, well... What is wisdom to you? You probably got more than I do, uh, which is true. Because in the Bible, there is no specific verse that says wisdom is dot dot dot. Now it does say in Psalms 11, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And it has a lot in the Bible when it talks about fearing the Lord. It says in Proverbs eight thirteen that when you fear the Lord, you hate evil. You hate pride in the the way of arrogance. And so as we were talking about wisdom, uh, Glenn was sharing some of his thoughts. I was sharing sharing some of my thoughts. I asked a famous uh, pastor and theologian, Craig Peters, what what he thought what wisdom was. And as we were kind of talking about it, everyone would have their own definition, right? How wisdom is this? It is applied knowledge. Now, whether you have different aspects of it, and some of you would say, well, maybe it's able to see all of the working pieces, right? You're able to make a decision. As I was talking with Craig, we were saying, you're able to make a decision removing yourself from the effects of the decision, but making the best decision in like a clock, seeing all the working pieces. Maybe for you, as we, I was talking with Glenn, wisdom is making a mistake and learning from the mistake. If a child burns their hand on the stove and they don't go back to touch the stove again. Well, what is wisdom, right? It's, it's applied knowledge. And Solomon, who is the wisest man who has ever lived, um, the, the aspect that he missed or didn't really get in his heart was this. He had tons and tons of knowledge, had tons of experiences, but he didn't get it into his heart. He didn't apply it. Remember in chapter 7, I think it was 12 times he said the word, my heart, my heart, my heart. He couldn't get it into himself. And tonight, as we look at chapters 9 and 10 and some specific proverbs that he is saying to us, as we've said this whole time, he is an older gentleman and he's writing almost about his mistakes. Because if you were trying to impart wisdom to, to someone, maybe your children or your grandchildren, you're trying to save them from some regrets that you have. Don't do what I did. Or make sure you do what I did. And Solomon, he is writing these letters, to, or this letter to us, or this book to us. And I have six things tonight. Six, I'm going to be a little bit, I hope to be quick. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I hope to be a little bit quicker to get you into discussion at your tables because I think it'll be important for tonight. But we're going to wor- work through uh, just some of these ideas And the first one is this Think more about death That's what Solomon wants us to do uh, As men or as people Death is not usually the motivator for us But let's, let's check this out in chapter 9 I gave you all those references there There's actually more There's some in 11, some in 12 But I just gave you up to chapter 9 Let's look at chapter 9 verse 3 It says this this is an evil event, an evil in all that is done, sorry, under the sun. That the same event, there it is, happens to all. Also, the heart of the children of man are full of envy, and the madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Let me read 5. For the living know that they will die, duh, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. All right, let's talk for a second. What he is saying is actually pretty incredible. Has someone ever said something to you that sounded so simple and so, I don't want to say dumb because that's not a really nice word, but just so simple that it, only, it just clicked in your mind when they were like, oh, that's the answer. That's what I should do. Solomon is teaching us, or Solomon wants you and I to think more about death. Why? Because death is a motivator, is it not? For either parties, and in chapter 9 in the section I didn't read, and he goes on, for the righteous, death is a motivator. It makes you desire to make the right decision, to have less regrets. And even for the rebellious, death is a motivator. It makes someone want to uh, enjoy life and enjoy the things that are before them. Death is a motivator for us. Solomon wants us to think more about death. He is repeating himself because he understands that we don't really get that within us, do we? How many of you would remember the Heaven series that you guys did last fall? And talking about your eternal dwelling, that Uh, Paul would say that our earthly body is like a tent. And if we invest everything into our tent, it's pretty foolish. No one sells their home. Hey, honey, I got an idea. The market's high. Let's put it on Zillow. Where are we going? I got a really good tent. It's got an air mattress. We're going to move in there. I got the tile. I got the TV. I got the porter john. We're set. Nobody would do that. Only a foolish man would do that. When you think about death, it is a motivator, and I think we could all go around the room and we could share about near-death experiences. Maybe for some of you, it was on your motorcycle. When you hit the highway, it started raining. You got stories about a near-death experience. Uh, Probably the closest I've ever been to death. Some of you have heard this story before. I was mowing for a friend of mine. I was push mowing. And as I was push mowing, I ran over a beehive. It had wasps, and for me, I was like, yeah, no sweat. I've been stung by bees my whole life, and this bee stung me on my ankle. thought, no big deal, knocked the bee off, kept going. Well, another one got me on the same ankle. I thought, no big deal. About 12 minutes in, 15 minutes in, I remember it like it was yesterday. This was in 2016. I started to sweat, like, really bad, and I started to just feel my head, and I could feel hives breaking off over my head. And as that was happening, I was at my friend's house, so I kind of went up, and I started to, like, hey, man, I think I need a drink of water or Gatorade or something, and I came in, and as I sat down, my hands started to crimp up, and I was like, hey, I don't know if this is good. Like, I, I think we should do something, and it was Eric who was here last week, and uh, I was like, hey, man, I, I think we need to go somewhere, and he's like, well, where should we go? I was like, the ER, and we're on Maslin Road, and uh, I stumble out to the car, and my hands start crimping up, and my feet start crimping up. And I mean, this bee about took me out. And I'm walking in the car and I'm like, bro, we gotta go now. And I can feel my chest tightening up. I went into anaphylactic shock from this little stupid bee. And as we're going down the road, uh, you know, he's from the DR. So I'm trying to coach him on how to get me there faster. I'm like, go, go, go. And he's like, there's cars in front of us. And I mean, it was awesome. He went, you know, curb and he's in the grass. And he had showed up to a red light and the red light, I was like, run the red light because I can't I'm, I can't breathe, I'm, and he, you know, runs the red light, and if you imagine, like, I didn't have a shirt on, I don't think he did, I was mowing, and this big Dominican guy in this little car, cars are looking at us, sorry, as we kind of pull into the ER room, and I walk in, I don't know why I said this, but I walked in like this, I was like, I have insurance, you know, uh, I, I walked in, <laughs> this is a true story, and the guy, uh, Eric walked in, and he's like, hey, is my buddy in here, and he was like, this guy? And uh, took me back and they had given me some steroids. I was fine. And I'd made a commitment that year, stupid, stupid commitment to not eat ice cream for a whole year. I don't know why. I just torture myself sometimes. Right when I left, uh, my dad was there. I was like, hey, I got to go to Acme. I got like three quart pints of ice cream and just devoured it all night. Biggest mistake of my life to not eat ice cream for a year. But it was a near-death experience for me that a bee almost took me out. And it caused me to remember, ice cream is something good that I should eat all the time, amen. So there are, even in funny scenarios like that or maybe serious scenarios, near-death experiences cause you to do certain things. It should be a motivator for obedience. Jonathan Edwards, in the one week we talked about he said, thinking about death drove me to do what was right. Just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. I, I was on the phone with my grandma the other day, and uh, she was talking, and she had been on the bedside of some, a few people, family members who had actually died, and as she was there, she had witnessed them exhaling. And I don't know why, my grandma Garber, man, she's, this crazy stories that she experienced, and she was telling me about her sister Ruth, who had died a couple years ago, and as she was dying on her deathbed, she said, and she had really... The last 6 months of her life was extremely sad, very difficult for her, really lost a lot of memory, couldn't, you know, certain things. And as she was dying or exhaling, hadn't talked in weeks. She started to smile and laugh and name her siblings who had accepted Christ. And she said, "Oh my, it smell, the smell. Oh my, it's beautiful." that as she was entering into heaven, she started listing these things, and it drove her to this. And even as you think about death, it is supposed to drive us to obedience, is it not? Death is a motivator, Solomon wants us to know. Number two, stop trying to be someone else. Solomon has said this many different ways, many different times, but in chapter 9, verse 7, he says this, Go, eat your bread. If you underline in your Bible or if you write down, write down every time it says you or your. Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. That he has given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Fourteen times he says you, you, you. He is... Wanting us to, and Solomon, I believe, is addressing this idea of stop trying to be someone else. The comparison or the lack of ability to be content with where God has me and what he has given me. And I like what Solomon's bringing up. He's bringing up food. I don't think he's talking about Mickey D's. I don't think he's talking about Chipotle. I don't think he's talking about the Taco Bell runs. He is talking about enjoy food, the things that God has given to us. When it says, "Let his," it says in verse 8, let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. What he is talking about here is always be aware of the presence of God before you. He's already approved what you do, that if you are in Christ, and if you fear God, and if you follow God, he has approved what you are doing. That constantly, Solomon's bringing up this idea of seeing someone else, And wishing that you had the situation, the season, and the scenario that they had. And not realizing what God has given to me. The ability, the ability to be content with the career I have. With the calling God has given me. With what he's put before me. Solomon wants us, and I believe God wants us, to stop trying to be someone else. There are certain things in your life, maybe when you sit down with someone, and maybe it comes around your birthdays, maybe it comes around the new year, when there'll be certain things that you start, and there'll be certain things that you stop. There'll be certain seasons of your life where you'll say, eh, I probably should stop doing this. I probably should start doing this. I probably should think about this more. And Solomon, I believe, is addressing, hey, the life that you have, the life that God has given to me, Every breath that I have, every opportunity I have is a blessing. God, thank you. Sometimes instead of asking God to remove me from a situation or a season, I need to change my my praying, my supplications to God out of that to, God, thank you that I have these situations and abilities to learn from. God, give me the wisdom to learn from these things. Number three, embrace luck because it often wins. Verse 11 Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor rich to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. So he he gives these descriptions. He said, just because you're fast don't mean you always win. Just because you're smart don't mean you always win. And just because you have different scenarios and you have the money or have the things, he said, just because all those things happen doesn't mean you're always on the good end of the deal. He says, but time and chance happen to all of them. For man does not know his time. And he gives an illustration. Like a fit, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught up in a snare or a trap so the children of man are snared or trapped at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them now i believe that god is completely completely sovereign that he is in control as proverbs 21 would say even the, the king's heart is where in the hand of the lord that nothing takes god by surprise He's not shocked at what takes place or what takes place in my life. He's not losing his mind. The Holy Spirit's not like, I thought you were gonna tell him. I thought you were gonna. They're not arguing about that, right? I believe God has all of that stuff figured out. But from our perspective, right, Solomon is writing as a man. From our perspective, doesn't it feel like time and chance? Time and chance. The idea of luck and right, whether you believe in luck is irrelevant. I'm using it as a point to address what Solomon is saying. Embrace it because it often wins. When something bad happens or the, right, the guy who didn't work as hard as you gets the better end of the deal or the person uh, who did maybe less than you gets the better end of the deal, he says embrace luck because it often wins. Why why is that important? Because if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, we'll talk about this in a second, you like the recognition for when things go well. But you don't want your name to come up when things go bad. Right? When things go well, you would like someone to drop your name. Even if it's in the family, right? The, the credit for it. And Solomon is teaching embrace time and chance. Because when we embrace time and chance or that God is in control, it removes me from at any point, at any point, thinking that I deserve something. That when I'm at the center of my world, I don't see time and chance. I see what? My effort. And how skillful I am. And how much of a beast I was. And how hard I worked. And what I did. I don't see time and chance. I see, no, 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 I was wise. I worked hard. I deserved that. And when we fear God and someone who is wise, they can't say that. They have to say, no, 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 no. That was God's doing. I did my part. I had my responsibility, but then God took the rest of it. Number four, Solomon wants us to stop yelling for credit. Stop yelling for credit. 13 to 17. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. It gives the example. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. And here's the hard one. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not what? Heard. Verse 17. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Here's what I believe Solomon is getting at. There's an aspect. He's got two different men, a poor man in a city and the great king who accomplishes a ton. And the man who accomplishes a ton, who shouts for the credit, probably will get the credit. But the poor man, the one who is lowly, poor in spirit, desperate for God, who actually does a lot of things and no one remembers his name. They don't even remember who accomplished it. That man is wise. And that is a man who fears the Lord. And when you and I yell for credit, We don't scream for credit, but there are subtle things that you and I do to make sure that we get the recognition, isn't there? Certain questions we'll ask, oh, whose idea was that? That was yours. Oh, okay, I I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's something going on with your wife, as I'm thinking about now, uh, you you know, she'll think of something, or for a lot of you, oh, my gosh, uh, your kids, they'll be like, you won't believe what so-and-so told me. Really? And you had been teaching them for years, right? Pull up the first proverb for me, Andy. There's four proverbs I want to look at. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. If there is one proverb that God just gets in me all the time, it's this one. Even who, someone who can shut up sometimes. Not always having something to say or even the last thing to say, someone who is a fool. So they're not smart. They just sit still. Eventually, everyone's like, that guy's pretty wise. He didn't even say nothing. That's cool. I feel like that's easy. Kind of. Not easy. Easy to, 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 to talk about. Uh, next proverb Proverbs uh, 18, 16. A man's gifts make room for him and bring him before the great. So when we talk about credit and want credit and um, want to do things to be accomplished, this proverb is teaching if God has gifted you or I in any area, or given you wisdom or abilities or talents in a workplace or in your job, the wise man eventually, eventually, people will recognize, not because you talk so much, but because you work so hard. Eventually, that is what happens. Not because I bring up the things that I did, but a man's gifts make room for him. Proverb, next one, Proverbs. Twenty-five, twenty-seven. it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek out one's own glory. When you fish for compliments, when I fish for compliments, it is exhausting, isn't it? It's just tiring. You got to wonder about what everyone's thinking or who got the credit or who got the applause, right? It says in 2 John, uh, it's one chapter, 2 John 8, it says, and you guys went over this in the Heaven Series, watch yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked for that you can't lose your salvation but when it comes to rewards you can lose rewards and what we will give back to christ we can lose crowns when when i am worried about other people mentioning what i've done and they could be small subtle things right we'll ask questions we'll try to bring up the the idea that we did Solomon I believe is teaching don't yell for the credit and he brings this up often often in the proverbs and the last one is probably my favorite proverbs 25 I think it's verse 7 is it on there yes for it is better to be told come up here than to be put lower in the presence of the noble an invite is better than an ask hey what do you think hey what are your thoughts the patience to wait for that, I believe Solomon teaches, than to say, hey, I would like to tell you something. I would like to give you my peace of mind. Now, there's wisdom in those things, but I believe his overarching principle is saying, yelling for credit or seeking for credit is exhausting mentally, emotionally, and when you, don't, and when you do it so much, when I've learned from experience, you'll ask the same person the same question twice. Because you want them to bring it up again. I thought you asked me about that. Yeah, we knew you did it. We know, we know, you're great, we know. I have to be careful and stop yelling for the credit or shouting for the credit or even caring about the credit because the man who fears the Lord, it's not about that. It's not about who gets the credit. What, it, what is it about? It is, about? it is about the right decision being made and done. It's the best thing. It's. it's as we were talking about what wisdom is, it's removing yourself from the situation and saying, what is the best thing that needs to be done here? With my wife's issue, with my kids, or with my grandkids, what is the best thing that I need to do? Stop yelling for the credits. And this question, it was my first year of Bible college, and it was Don Locke was teaching a message, and I'll never forget, we were getting ready to leave, and he pulled this up on the screen. Is God's glory safe with me? He was talking about Joseph, And I'll never forget it, and we were getting ready to leave for the summer, and he had pulled this up on the screen, and he said, If God decides to bless you, is it safe with you? Or are you going to steal it? If he decides to do something through me, is it going to come back to him? Or will I get whatever reward I have now because I did it to be seen by others, and I did it to be applauded by others? I've often found myself saying, God, I pray that your glory would be safe with me. That it's not about my recognition. It's not about the applause. It's not about any of that. Whatever wickedness I have in my heart, take it out, remove it, please. The evil I I hate that I do. And God, would your glory be safe with me? And whatever that means for me. And even for you, it could be personal saying, I want to finish well. God, would your glory be safe with me? I want to be the husband that you're calling me to be. Is that not glorious? Would your glory be safe with me? Uh, Whatever it is for you in the the workplace, maybe it, it is impossible, seems impossible, for you to work with integrity. God, would your glory be safe with me? Because when I'm consumed about who gets the credit, I'm not focused on this. I'm focused on me. Solomon is teaching, stop yelling for the credit. Number five, worry about and do not put my name in there, but I have my name in there. I have worry about Michael. You put your name. Don't put Michael. You're like, what verse is that? He's got, uh, (laughs) put your name right there. Whatever your name is. Mine is on the screen. Worry about Michael. I want you to put your name. Let's talk about this. Chapter 10, we're going to skip down to verse 2. A man's heart inclines him, or a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to, here it is, everyone that he is a fool. Everyone. He lets everybody know what he's doing. A fool is constantly addressing everyone. He's looking at other people. He's not able to have the mirror. He has... The magnifying glass or the binoculars. Verse 4, or verse 3. Even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. He says to everyone he is a fool. Verse 4, even the anger of a ruler rises against you. Do not leave your place for calmness. We'll lay great offenses to heart. Proverbs 15.1 <clears throat> says that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When he brings up anger here and calmness, worrying about myself addressing the king or someone in charge or a ruler who's angry, who can I control? Me. I can control my response. I can't control how, what they're doing. And when I am constantly worrying about, and maybe you could put under there all the people that you worry about. You worry about what this person's doing, this person's doing, this person's doing. He, he's about to dress. how you worry about yourself. This is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were. An heir proceeding from the ruler. Oh my, have we not seen this. Folly is set in many high places. And the rich sit in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So hear what our man Solomon is talking about. He is saying there is a time that he has seen, and that you and I have seen even today, where as a society or as the world, what do we do? We take what is evil and we elevate it and praise it. We applaud wickedness, right? The things that are most dishonoring or displeasing to God, as the world, he said, this is a folly he has seen. Don't you see that today? That we look at evil and we see it and then it drives us to worry about everyone else or everything else but myself. It says in James 4, 17, we were talking about the table last week. I had to bring it up. So whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, to him it is sin. Obedience. Obedience is typically, typically personal for me. God, what do you have for me? There are biblical things that are white and black. But then there are other things that God has is calling me to do, that he has before me. And it's in Romans 2, 15 to 16. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. He's talking about to the Jews and Gentiles and how their conscience and the law is written on their hearts. How... We know what is evil and what is just, just because of eternity being set in our hearts. And obedience is easiest when it's between me and the Lord. It's always easiest when I can make a, and this is the the wisdom part tonight. I want to press in a little bit. It's easiest when I can see the decision and I don't focus on the impacts of the decision. I just say, God, what do you want me to do? What's the wisest thing for me right here? Not how it affects my finances, not how it affects my family even, not how it affects what I'm gonna have to do because of the decision. God, what's right and wrong? What do you want me to do? I'm gonna worry about Michael. He says, a foolish man, a foolish man goes to the left. If you and I, uh, on the way home tonight, driving on the highway or the road, and we saw someone on the opposite end of the road, skipping backwards on 77, saying, I'm having a good time, you would wonder what they took. you would be like, ah, that would be a fool. He's making the same analogy, someone who is constantly considering or thinking about other people, and I, I will blame my disobedience on someone else. If he would have done this, I would have done this. If she wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have said that. I'll blame my disobedience on someone else. And obedience is easiest when it's just between me and him, when I can focus and worry about Michael. Number six, if I don't like my direction, do something. Eight to 11. And if you remember, if you were here for Joseph, we talked about this one night. He who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. He's got two different guys here. One guy builds walls, one guy who digs a pit, he shows up to work one day, and next thing you know he gets bit by a snake and he dies. The next guy's building a wall, shows up to work one day, next thing you know something busts through the wall, and he dies. It's, he, he's teaching that life is hard and unpredictable. And then he brings up the, the, the third scenario. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. I totally forgot. I had a machete I was going to bring tonight. Totally forgot. But if it's dull, what happens, right? It's not effective, right? You will spend more time trying to cut down the tree or if I have an axe. But if I sharpen my axe, what? I will get more work done and I will... Uh, use less energy. That's a wise man. And this is the analogy he makes. Here's the third man. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. What good is it if a snake charmer has the ability to charm the snake and he doesn't and he gets bit by the snake and he dies with the charm in his hand? What good is it if a man has an ax that is sharp but he doesn't cut down any trees. What good is it? And and here's what I believe Solomon is teaching here in Ecclesiastes 10. I believe he is teaching that if we are not careful, that we have to, it takes effort, that life is hard and unpredictable, and I have to ask God, what am I responsible for? That I need to do something if I want things in my life to change. I can't blame other people. I can't blame my scenario. I can't blame my circumstances. I have to say, I have to own up to my decisions as a man. I've said, I'm responsible for me, and if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, my I want to's will turn into I wish I would have. My I want to's will turn into I wish I would have. Andy, if you'd pull that up for me. If I wanna think where I wanna be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I feel like the, the things I, I'm asking God for feel pretty simple, right? I want to make sure that I love my wife all the way through. I want to make sure that whatever kids God chooses to give me, that I would love them well and set a good example the best I can, imperfect as I am. That I would get to teach the Bible and see people come to know Christ. And that I would use the gifts and abilities he's given me. Seems pretty simple. But if I'm not careful, nobody, nobody gets to the end on accident. If it's not intentional, my, I want to do this, will end up being, man, I wish I would have done that. And the sweet thing about this book, as we've talked every single night, is if you have the I wish I would haves, you can turn those into, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to start that right now. No matter how how hard it is, I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm going to make sure that I am looking in the mirror. I'm going to worry about me. And if I want something to change, I'm going to stop blaming other people and my circumstances. God, would you give me the courage to do that? Would you help me to do that? I'm going to give you guys some time in your groups uh, for three questions and then I will give you a two-minute warning. Go ahead and break off into your, your discussion. Well, hopefully you've had some good discussion at your tables. Um, we were talking at ours, and we or I kind of discussed back there with Mike and Andy in the sound booth, and... I was talking about the idea of giving someone credit and how sometimes there's good ambitions or motives out of giving someone credit. And I can't think of the proverb off the top of my head. I was just looking for it. But the one that talks about uh, a man given to flattery will come to ruin. And even thinking about why I give the credit or why I want the credit and things like that. But um, hopefully you had some good discussion next week. Um, I will be handing these out for our January study. I'm also going to send these to your house. Uh, We're going to be doing a series, a 10-week series, called Work in Progress. uh, A 10-week series off of Philippians 1-6 and how to have victory over certain areas in our life that we just seem to always struggle with. And so I'll talk more about that next week, uh, which next week will be our last week. Uh, We just have one more, and then we'll be done. Um, But I want to pull this verse up, Matthew 12 42, as we've been talking about Solomon in Ecclesiastes this whole time, it says in verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, which we talked about the one night, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus referring to himself, and even as we talk about Solomon and the wisdom he had and uh, the application he gives to us, and how really I believe he just ministers to us night after night. And these chapters, really I believe, speak to us or the the themes that he is he is talking about. Um, I I am just reminded that even as I read Ecclesiastes, Jesus speaks about it, and he says, "You want you want wisdom, you come you come to me. You want to know how to to think through life. You want to." talk about obedience. We want to talk about worry. We want to talk about what's going on in the world. Jesus invites us to come to him. And all of our worry and all of our doubt and all of our inadequacies and the things we're worried about. And Solomon, as he's writing this letter, I believe, I mean could have titled tonight, you know, Can You Teach an Old Dog New Tricks? You know, maybe you be the judge of that. But really there's certain things in our life that he's trying to, to bring up and address. And all of us all of us, as we, maybe one of these six points or one of the questions kind of sticks home with you tonight, maybe about obedience or credit or embracing luck or thinking about death, whatever those things are, I believe for us to, as Hebrews 12 would tell us, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Even as there is worry in my heart last night, I'm just losing my mind, right? Fixing my eyes on Jesus, Not investing, not investing too much into my tent, my earthly home. Not getting too caught up and invested into what is here. Because whenever the believer dies and passes from death to life, it is not the end. It is actually the beginning. And the, the, the longing of our heart that Solomon and really this meaninglessness or this vanity that you and I feel is complete and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Would we go to him tonight as we pray? <clears throat> Jesus, your word says that any of us who are labor or heavy laden, would we come to you? Because you bring rest for our souls. And God, I pray that we would do so. That we would constantly come back to you. God, we come to you for wisdom. God, for strength. For even the ability to fear you. God, I often find myself praying, would you give me, would you give all of us in this room, no matter the age, Would you give us wisdom beyond our years, wisdom beyond our time, God, that would our relationship with you that hopefully is so personal, it's so personal, that our obedience is between me and you. God, would you help us to be obedient? God, would you forgive me for having too much stock into my earthly tent, as Paul warns me in 2 Corinthians 5, that there are There is an earthly tent and dwelling, God, that my home is not here. That my home is in heaven and you have a place for me. And God, would you help me to set my mind on things above, God, and even as the next day or two transpire, Lord, would we trust you? And would we not just say that? God, would it be shown in our actions and in our emotions? God, would we follow you with open hands. God, would you help us to be men who are godly? Would you help us to be men who constantly come back to you for forgiveness? Would you help us to be more about you and your glory and your name than our own? As we fight against that, would you give us wisdom, God? Would you help us to fear you God, no matter what happens and how many the people around us who don't fear you, would you help me to understand that I have a responsibility for me and to set an example for those around me. God, I pray that we would seek you and follow you in every area of our life. And God, would you help us to lead others to do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.